Hello everyone, I'm Alan Mellish, Director of Events and Online Content at the Human Capital Institute, and this is 9 to Thrive HR, your source for education, expertise, and knowledge on all things talent. This episode of 9 to Thrive is brought to you by the good people at Workday. Workday is the finance, HR, and planning system for a changing world. Learn more about them and all they have to offer at Workday.com. My guest today is Phil Wilburn. He is the head of People Analytics and Insights at Workday. Phil, welcome to 9 to Thrive. Thanks for having me, Alan. So happy to be joining you on this podcast. Excellent. So our topic today is really about diversity, belonging, and, and analytics and how all these things kind of work together. So I'll dive right in. Um, obviously, due to recent events, we're seeing a renewed focus on the issues of equity and inclusion in the workplace. And so just, you know, really broad how does Workday approaching diversity and belonging, uh, what does that look like in your day-to-day as you guys are trying to uh, address these issues for the people you, that work for you? Yeah, this is a really important topic, uh, especially with the events over the last several months. It's really highlighted and spotlighted a renewed conversation related to systemic inequalities that directly f- affect not only society, um, but both us in our professional lives and our personal lives. And I know at Workday, we believe in equity, inclusion, and belonging for all. So it's not only our employees, and as the head of people analytics, I, I look at that from an employee base, but also for all of our customers as well. We're, we're very passionate about this. And, and like you said uh, in the intro, being a platform with so much of the key financial and HR data, we, we have recognized our unique role in making a positive impact in the movements towards creating equality, opportunity, driving real change, and creating a better future for all. But one of the issues, Alan, is that there's not a standard measure for belonging and inclusion across all of the organizations. And as Anil, our CEO, had said um, with uh, a webinar he hosted with the CEO of Great Places to Work and our Chief Diversity Officer, Karen Taylor, we all need to get better, but we need data to tell us where we're at. Um, and data is going to play a big role in fulfilling this uh, this vision of equity. Absolutely. And I think that whole problem of what to measure, uh, you know, like with anything, there's going to be some differences across different companies and organizations that are trying to figure this out. You know, what are the key metrics for them? All that kind of stuff. But let's look at uh, let's stay on topic on what you're thinking about day to day. What kinds of data are you really considering when you're measuring diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity at Workday, what's what's on your dashboard that you're trying to keep track of? Yeah, it's uh, you know when we when we look beyond maybe the traditional view of belonging and diversity or diversity and inclusion, um, we we have to not only look at diverse representation, which is historically what organizations looked at, but we also have to, like you mentioned, look at uh, the equity inclusion. So that includes the quality of the relationships. That includes the um, parity process in your promotion. That includes the uh, a whole spectrum of things, including the really um, granular sentiment of our um, most sensitive groups in the organization to the extent that they really feel like they belong and can succeed there. And um, our chief diversity officer, Karen Taylor, has really summarized this up. Uh, She calls it our VIBE strategy. And uh, uh, what it stands for is valuing inclusion, belonging, and equity for all. Uh, She laid that vision out a couple of years ago. And then she's like, hey, Phil, um, 
you know, people analytics, how do we measure this? And it's like, oh, great, Karen, let's, let's get to work. And that's what we've been doing over the last two years. And, you know, can happy to lay out, if you want to get real detailed, Alan, happy to lay out kind of the framework and, and real granular, what we're trying to measure from that perspective. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, vibe and what uh, and how that translates from an analytics perspective. I think that it would be helpful for the listeners to have a few uh, a little more insight into the metrics you're using that tie directly back to vibe. So, just for for everybody listening, what is uh, what does vibe stand for again? I feel like it's always helpful. Yeah, no, it's uh, it stands for valuing inclusion, belonging, and equity for all. Great. And so what kind of metrics are you looking at to support that? Yes. To support this um, this framework, we've really operationalized it in a perspective that we ask, you know, do you vibe? And so it's really um, five specific areas that we look at. The first one um, is diverse representation. So that's probably the most traditional and historical one to look at, but it's really diverse talent uh, represented in leadership roles, in critical roles, um, and, and so forth across the organization. The second one is around uniqueness. Um, and uniqueness is capturing the diversity that we actually have in the organization. I think historically, we've really only focused, you know, all organizations, maybe on gender, maybe on U.S. ethnicity, maybe on a couple of different areas, but that only reflects a small part of diversity in the workforce. We also have to look at gender identities. We have to look at people with disabilities, veterans. We have to take a much broader view of diversity in the workplace. So we do a lot of metrics around uniqueness. Uh, the third one we look at is around inclusion. And this is really a, a social capital approach. Um, perspective. I know that uh, on the podcast you recently had Ben Weber, who looks at all these networks and all this data that creates networks. We look at the equal participation in peer recognition networks. Uh, we have this feature called Anytime Feedback, and we know that as we recognize people, it actually has impacts to attrition performance. So we look at that mentoring sponsorship. The fourth thing we looked at, and we talked about this a, a little bit above, is belonging. Do all employees really feel like they're fully accepted here? Um, are they seeing parity across all the demographic groups and they, do they feel like they can succeed here? And lastly, and probably uh, one of the most important things around the outcomes is their parity in hiring, pay, promotions, opportunity, development, et cetera. And so each one of these factors, we have a number of measures we put around to say whether or not we're creating a vibe culture or we're actually creating inclusion and belonging for all of us, for all of us at Workday. That's interesting. And also, uh, just to follow up a little bit, the representation uh, obviously is, I think, foundational for any diversity strategy. Uh, if you're not measuring that, then it's hard to measure a lot of the other stuff that follow from it. So um, a lot of companies, though, I, I think you would agree, probably struggle with benchmarking their representation in all those different areas, you know, critical roles, leadership roles, all those areas you just mentioned. Um, how do you think about benchmarking the work that you guys are doing at Workday to make Vibe come to its full flowering? Yeah, you nailed it there, Ellen. This is a, a really difficult topic um, because once you've committed, like we need to make and reinforce the inclusion and, and, and diversity for our organization, the next thing is like, you know, as in all organizations, how do you measure it? And then how do you keep people accountable to that? And the most common question 
you know, even question that I've heard a, a couple times at Workday is like, where do we send our targets? Where are our goals? How do we know that we're doing this? And, you know, for all people data and all data, you really need essentially two things to make sense of it, to contextualize it. You either need to trend it over time. So if you have, you know, your workforce composition over time, you can see how it changed, or you need some kind of benchmark. And at Workday, we use a tool called Workday Benchmarking or uh, Data as a Service. It's not only used for us internally at Workday. I use this. I'm a huge fan of this tool. But it's also all of our customers have access to this. And it provides the much needed context to help uh, us and our customers understand the business strengths around diversity and weaknesses um, compared to other companies in your industry at your same size. And this is like super cool and I may geek out on this, but literally in Workday on a dashboard, I can say, here's the industry I want to compare Workday to, technology. Here's the size that we're at. Give me my peers' diversity breakdown. And I can look at how my diversity compares to my peers across gender, U.S. ethnicity. And then I can even go more granular. And I know a lot of people analytics and belonging and diversity teams, they want to go a little bit deeper. They want to say, okay, we want to have this representation. We want to know how we compare to our peers. But what does that mean for management levels? And so in this tool, what I do is I say, okay, how does the, for example, percent of managers who are female at Workday compare to our peers? in the tech industry, at the same size, how are we doing? And right there, I can say, oh, wow, you know, um, you know, I can look at the average tech industry is about 31% females in management. Um, that's about the 50th percentile. Workday, we're actually at the 75th percentile. So, wow, we're doing pretty good in this for a tech company our side compared to our peers. Yes. Do we need to improve? Absolutely. We all need to improve, but that actually gives us a concrete goal to know how we're doing overall that's specific and personalized to us. And it really helps set targets and goals. And for business leaders who want to take actions around that, really having those goals and that accountability is so important. Yeah, it's definitely about um, looking at where you are today relative to others that are comparable and then figuring out, okay, what's reasonable for tomorrow? You know, obviously that kind of applies to the personal life as well as also to an entire company. So we've already talked about some of these traditional HR metrics like you've talked about already. You know, obviously, we just finished discussing representation. There's also the hiring, the attrition, um, keeping track of those. I think everybody has a handle on that or at least has that on their dashboard to extend the car metaphor. But what does it look like when you're measuring something like belonging? How do you, you know, it's a, it's a little abstract. It's a little harder to quantify. So how are you doing that? How are you getting a handle on the belonging metric? Yeah, this is, you know, kind of the fundamental perspective um, when you're trying to impact an entire organization to be inclusive, you have to address the sense about whether people belong here. Uh, it is a little bit tricky to measure, right? Um, how do you measure, for example, if people feel like they are fully accepted for who they are, that they feel psychologically safe, that they think things are fair, that they feel like they can succeed here? And, um, you know, diverse groups, you know, they don't, they don't always have the same perspective. So diff one group may feel different way, one group may feel this way, et cetera. Um, one of the unique practices uh, here at Workday is we have something which we call Feedback Fridays. 
So Feedback Friday is um, part of our best workday survey, which is a survey that we pulse two to four questions every Friday to our entire population. We've been doing this for the last um, two years, and it just gives us a pulse on things like employee sentiment. Uh, we did some work around COVID, how people are handling during the global pandemic we're, we're dealing with, but we also um, pulse out specific items related to belonging. A while back, we worked with uh, people at The Great Place to Work, their chief data scientists over there. And what they came down to is they said, hey, we have six items that based on their millions and millions of data points, these are the most predictive that people feel like they belong or include in the organization. So we've been pulsing these six items over the last two years. And what we do is we take these six items, we aggregate it up, and we call it a belonging index. And then that's the first stage. And then the second step is to um, look at these like, how does this particular uh, geographic location feel like they belong versus this one? How do men versus women feel like they belong? How do our different U.S. ethnicities feel like they belong? How do, for example, remote workers versus home workers feel like they belong? And guess what? Big surprise, pre-COVID, our remote workers felt like they belonged, even though they weren't connected to a campus, slightly more stronger than our office-based workers. And so we can really granularly look the extent to which our important diverse kind of communities feel like they belong. And, you know, it's important to track this over time because belonging changes. Um, external events uh, happen that changes people's extent to a belonging. You know, just recently with all, all the COVID and everybody's working remote, I'm working remote. Uh, kids are out actually getting ice cream right now because we're recording this podcast. So we're all in this new dynamic and we've seen an uh, impact and a sense of belonging in some of our generations because of their away from the office, impacting some groups greater than others. And so I think tracking belonging is important. And it's also important to have a real clear kind of research basis for it, because I think there's a lot of ideas about what is the belong, but what can you prove to say, you know, across all of these, you know, tens of thousands of data points, um, what is the best predictor of belonging? And that's just really helped us take a lot of specific actions over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's definitely a different uh, world we're living in. And anybody who's listening would have to agree. I mean, we've had in the past couple episodes, we've definitely had uh, a lot more stuff that was focused on, okay, here's the topic, but what does it look like when you're working from home? Um, I think that the belonging metrics that you kind of described there, it, obviously it's it's hard to nail something that, like that down, but I, I think that the focus anyways of, of having a few questions that you can get everybody's pulse on regularly is really a benefit to the organization. And also just anecdotally, I've been talking to, uh, you know, doing podcasts and webcasts, talking to lots of different organizations. And I think one thing that has come out of the pandemic and also uh, some of the other issues we're talking about here with the uh, social and political unrest is there's definitely much more of an effort of organizations as a whole to really be measuring their people more frequently. I think the trend was always going in that direction, but um, you know, events intervened and kind of put the whole trend on steroids so that uh, a lot more organizations are like, okay, if everybody's working remote, it's, you know, we kind of need to keep much closer tabs on how that's happening rather than just relying on a employee engagement survey every one or two years. You know, it's really much more useful to get 
short survey with everybody participating uh, as much as they can every week than something else. So definitely, uh, I'm seeing a lot of the same things happening in other organizations. Yeah, I if I could just say it like this, you're right. This has really accelerated the focus. I think really it's accelerated the focus on employee experience. You know, for for ages we did annual engagement surveys, biannual engagement surveys, and then we did you know there was a deep focus on employee experience, and then. You know, I, w- I think in the last couple of years, it was starting to fade out a bit, but this has really pointed to the almost the essential aspect of understanding your, your employees and really listening deeply to them and carrying their perspective. Um, you'll find, I think, and I've talked to a number of my peers, that those companies who have been deeply listening to their employees, when the pandemic hit, they actually saw their employee experience increase, not decrease. We saw that here at Workday overall. Our trust increased, psychological safety increased, like everything increased because we are listening and then we reacted and pivoted very quickly to address specific needs as specific as somebody saying, our policy around expensing headphones is that we can't expense if I just buy it, but I really need these headphones. And then we were like, okay, expense your headphones. Who cares? Like that helps you be productive. Um, because we're listening deeply. And I think those those companies who weren't listening as deeply as they should be, they're they're struggling to catch up a bit. And so you just pointed out, so it really accelerated this focus on employees. And I think you're just gonna see that focus, you know, deepen and strengthen over time. Yeah, and I probably should have had you do this before, um, but you, you mentioned the term psychological safety a couple of times. And I know some of our folks have been They've been thinking about psychological safety for the last five years, but they they knew psychological safety before it was cool. But why don't you give a quick definition of what you mean by psychological safety, just so that um, uh, other folks in the audience who are maybe they've been busy and they want to know what psychological safety is. Yeah, sure. This is not a new term. It's been around for ages. It's been studied by psychologists for forever. You know, Google made it really popular with their study to say the number one predictor of a a high-performing team is psychological safety. But they essentially replicated academic research that's happened in the past, but they did prove it out for themselves. And fundamentally, it's about um, feeling safe to take a risk, Um, feeling safe to maybe give some tough feedback, Um, feeling safe to say something or do something uh, that feels a little risky. And when you feel safe to do that, there's all sorts of positive outcomes, team effectiveness, innovation, productivity, um, but it's like an environment you have to create in order for people to kind of um, feel safe, really feel safe to take a risk and, you know, the fundamental essence of it. Yeah, that's a great summary of it. I think um, I'm a bit of a, on the sideline, I'm a bit of a like history buff. Um, there's no rhyme or reason to it, but I remember this great scene in the movie, the World War II movie, A Bridge to Far, about Operation Market Garden. And there was this whole scene where they were planning this, it, it, basically the movie's about this historic um, sort of early on defeat of the Allies invading uh, occupied Europe you know, it ends up being a, um, a big quagmire and they have to go back and figure it out over again to, on how to defeat the Nazis. And at one point, uh, there's this British intelligence officer who's raising all these questions and he eventually gets shut down by his superior and sent off somewhere else. So that's sort of like the, you know, he, he was not in a psychologically safe 
team where he felt like he could speak his mind and say, hey, uh, I'm seeing some things where this plan that we have may not work out so well and it's going to get a lot of our guys killed. So that's obviously a very extreme example of where there was people's lives at stake. But in organizations, I think we can all remember a time where we felt like we kept our mouth shut because we felt like we were going to get um, shut down for raising what might have been an important uh, objection or a new idea or, or or anything that we were trying to get across but felt like we couldn't. Um, I think that's probably what you're getting at there. Exactly. And this <laughs> extreme example, but good example. And, you know, there's there are a lot of factors that go in there. And I think, um, you know, if we're thinking about how do we address these systemic inequalities, um, our diverse populations have to feel that when they raise an issue, they have to trust that our leaders and organizations will take action to it. And the step one of that is actually knowing um, if they feel that trust is there and that safety is there to take that. Otherwise, you could be just going about your way and everything can be fine, but you really have to they have to feel safe, right? Um, and you have to create that safety uh, f- from a culture perspective, and you have to know how to take actions and so forth along that along that area. Excellent. So changing gears a little bit, um, we've been talking a lot about different ways that Workday is measuring its people and trying to get a really good handle on what the pulse is of the organization and just trying to make sure that the that you're making progress towards the goals of a more uh you know towards the goals that are stated in your in vibe you know more uh more inclusive more belonging more equity all of those things um but to do that to do those measurements how do you balance the uh privacy of your employees with still building you know a successful intentional strategy um, to get to a more vibe-focused culture. Yeah, this is a big hurdle. And often it's a big blocker in organizations to actually make progress. Um, and, and to be honest, it will vary from org to org, uh, what your size is, what geography you operate in. Uh, it, it will also vary uh, based on the laws of specific countries with you know data sharing and so forth. But uh, my belief is is it fundamentally comes down to two things that you need to keep a balance. Uh, the first thing is um, about protecting the confidentiality of your most sensitive groups. Um, these diverse sensitive groups are already concerned with, let's say, retaliation or treatment they've received in society or in a previous company or from a previous manager or somebody else's experience. And so you have to communicate and talk to them about confidentiality when you're collecting this survey data or when you're looking at their data about you know safety and so forth like that reinforce that however yes you need to protect that but you also have to be an advocate for sharing of this aggregated confidential data because in order for decision makers business leaders uh, uh gms functional leaders uh make decisions around your hiring promotions, your certain processes, you have to make this data available around these certain processes. You have to look for issues when it comes to performance enablement, issues when it comes to hiring, issues when it comes to promotions. And you can't just, you know, lock this data up and say, well, only legal can have a view of it. You actually have to make it a little bit more transparent in a safe way to business leaders and people partners who are actually taking action around that. 
And it's this balance between confidentiality and um, advocation for, for sharing this data that you have to, to, to balance in order to see the progress that you're going to make to create that vibe culture, to create the vibe organization that you're looking to create. Yeah. So giving examples to the audience here, but, it, you know, for example, if you're an African-American uh, member of the team at Workday, obviously, you know, that's much more, you're a visible minority, I guess is the term. Whereas uh, there are other things like sexual orientation or neurological diversity, somebody who may be on the autism spectrum, for example, or any of those kinds of things um, that are less visible. Um, I think you're right. It's very much a balance of trying to make sure that the people who are making decisions about uh, how the organization runs from a people perspective. So as you described basically HR and, uh, and managers of people, it's a challenge to, um, it, you want them to be aware of who they're leading, uh, who they're making decisions for and whose opinions to take into account. But you also don't want to single somebody else out who may not have been ready to share the fact that they are, uh, you know, that they're gay or that they're on the autism spectrum or any of those things that might come up in the survey data. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's you're you're spot on, and you have to capture. You know, I think Alan uh, and for our listeners out there, uh, not all your organization, not all of your technology captures the unique diversity in your population, and it's hard to advocate or display that data from from an analytics perspective if you can't capture that. And so you really need to look at that uniqueness, and it's beyond what you can, of course, what you can visibly see. And you know, one of the most active. Uh, employee belonging groups at Workday is our veterans group, right? Our veterans come from all over. They may have traditionally been in IT or, or technology and got into Workday. They may have come in a different way, but then many of them are reservists and they have to take other uh, responsibilities out there. We just need to make sure their voice is heard. We listen to them and we advocate for them in our metrics. And that's why it's so important to have technology that captures all of that there and can easily confidentially aggregate that up and provide those insights. So business leaders are like, oh, I wasn't aware of this. I need to make a, a different decision when it comes to this diverse population. Yeah. And, and I guess the, the the veterans example is a great one too, in that the, uh, you know, because you can't just walk down the street and look at somebody and be like, oh, that's a veteran. That's not a veteran. Um, you know, they come from all different backgrounds. It's the, you know, the, the military is obviously a very, um, it draws people from all segments of the country and is in many ways wonderful because of that. But I think that you're right, that it's important for all these different groups to, to have their voice and also to have that trust between them and, and their employer so that they know that, you know, Hey, I can be honest about, what issues might be affecting me or what my opinion is on something that I can share that and then also understand that it's my privacy isn't going to be violated at the same time, that I can be honest about what my opinions are about something that's going on at work, but I don't have to worry that I'm going to be singled out or targeted or held up in a way that I don't want to be. So I think that's a great aspect to, to focus on, the sort of trust that their voice will be respected, but also not... Um, broadcast in a way that they don't want to. Yep. Spot on. Spot on. <laughs> you know, I guess after doing all these podcasts over the years, you've become quite the professor there. Distilled the 
30 experts I've talked to over this time, and, and here it is. It's cool to, to, to have that kind of position and talk to all these uh, various people during, uh, you know, during your work. You know, that's, <laughs> that's a really cool job. Yeah, yeah. I talk to a lot of people about a lot of stuff, and it's, uh, it's mostly pretty great. So um, I think that's uh, a pretty great note to, to end on, really. The, you know, I have a good job, um, and also Phil has a good job. Uh, in terms of being able to uh, make people's lives better and use data to really identify problems and help solve them. So I would like to thank Phil for, for coming on. It's always one of those things where everybody feels a little bit uncomfortable because the issue of diversity in analytics and it's kind of one of those things where we know we should be kind of doing a little bit better than we are, but analytics maybe exposes that uh, a little too much. So everybody's a little uncomfortable about it at the same time talking about it. And so I really want to applaud Phil for coming on and uh, and talking about this issue and also how things are working at Workday to make it a more vibe-focused organization. So thank you, Phil, for coming on and joining us. Thanks for having me, Alan. I really uh, appreciate the conversation. Excellent. And I also want to give a big thank you to the people at Workday for uh, making this all possible. And for all ideas related to HR, come to the Human Capital Institute at hci.org. And don't forget to rate us, subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Alan Knight.